You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Read with me 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 13. I'll just read this one verse and we'll pray. But we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Father, come now, we pray. Present your Son Christ to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might actually know you and grow in you and be transformed and changed. And so let, Lord God, I pray the blessing of heaven come down and visit us, that your church would be released. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? So be like oak, be like oak. The first part of this chapter is what we got into last week, and that is the Antichrist. And uh, Christians actually are not freaked out by that subject matter uh, at all. In fact, we understand it, it makes sense, we welcome it, we understand what the scripture says. And the Apostle Paul, in three short weeks, in ministering and planting the church in Thessalonica, that would be ancient Greece, Uh, He goes to such deep waters with them that very quickly he handles that subject matter in depth. And so it brings me to a kind of an introductory text that I just want you to know by way of cross-reference, and that is Isaiah chapter 61. Now, Isaiah chapter 61 is 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 a famous chapter in the Bible. It's one that Jesus used to launch his ministry where he would simply say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And uh, when he was in, was in a synagogue, they pulled out some scrolls, and, and then he reads this text that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me uh, to, to release freedom to the captives and healing to people. He talks about mending hearts, and that is the idea of sowing, the idea of like sowing up our hearts, like God is actually sowing up the wounded places in our souls. And then in verse 3, he says, we are actually, God's people are actually oaks of righteousness, So these oaks of righteousness are described as us. So let's talk about the oak tree for a moment related to the subject matter of, wow, is there an end times? As we looked at last week, the day of the Lord, possibly an antichrist that will come uh, at some time period. And so we have to, we are that oak of righteousness. So trees are really fascinating. You know, we're chopping down trees around here and uh, some are dying uh, if you go down 246, there's these beautiful trees. I don't actually know what kind of tree they are. I didn't get in that kind of deep water, but they're beautiful. They have these thick trunks, and then the limbs kind of come out um, horizontally. Then they go vertical. They're just gorgeous. They're really tall. Well, there's just some unique qualities to an oak tree that speak to us in our spiritual life. So one of them is that an oak tree actually will, in its root system, it is aggressive to finding good water. So it's going to find good water where it's at. It's going to take time, and it might not grow much vertically. It might actually sit for a number of years while it is going deep into the soil. And it's actually, I know it's going to sound a little odd because maybe you've not thought about it, but it's actually going to be listening to weeds in the soil saying, where's good water? And it's actually going to go and find good water. And that is what the Bible is saying about you and I finding the living water of God finding the living water of Christ. And so these oak trees, again, this is the illustration of what it means to be saved in Isaiah chapter 61, verse three. 
is these oak trees are going to go find good water. But, but that's probably common to you. It's the next thing that really fascinates me, and it's related to the oak tree. So if you see like a gorgeous old oak tree and you come and look at it kind of up close, it, it, it's gorgeous, but when you look at it real close, there's actually sort of some scars around the thicker parts of the trunk. And you begin to look at it and you go, well, did a, did a tree limb fall off? Did somebody cut something? Because it looks like kind of like a hole and, and you want to put your finger in it or maybe your fist, but it can't go through. It's, it's all healed. It's, it's, just, it's just a scar. And what that is in an oak tree, very unique to any other kind of tree, is that on the interior of this oak tree, it's actually strong enough to squeeze out a predator or squeeze out a poison. And so in the ecosystem of trees, there's actually predators, there's actually poison. And so a poison or a predator might get inside an oak tree. In a pine tree, it might kill it. In other kinds of trees, it might take it down. But once, once that oak tree has found the living water, it is actually strong enough on the interior to squeeze. And when it squeezes from the inside, it begins to actually expel that predator. And when it pops out the bark, it leaves a scar that over time actually becomes something beautiful that we enjoy. And so this is another description of this oak tree of us as Christ followers that on the inside of us is a spiritual circulatory system and there are predators out there. I mean, I just, I have to tell you that, I have to tell you the scriptures. There are predators out there wanting to steal from you, wanting to kill from you, wanting to destroy from you. Uh, John's gospel says that is the evil one himself. We have a spiritual circulatory system that is actually stronger than that and actually begins to do this good work. So that's my way of introduction. I want you to understand that so that you are actually rooted in the rest of the conversation as we go forward. I just love that. Isaiah chapter 61, verse three, by way of reference. We are people who find the Spirit's water, who find that life, and the scriptures will take you there, which is why Paul says we ought to always give thanks to God for you. And and we, we actually need to verbalize this more to people. We actually really need to verbalize this to one another. I was actually at a wonderful function last night uh, with a guy named Charles Mully. It was a backyard affair. It was a, uh, just a privilege to be invited with a few friends. Charles Mully is actually uh, an incredible story. And he is, he is actually an African from Nairobi. And he was one of the wealthiest men uh, around. He actually uh, was born in abject poverty. He was thrown to the streets. He was homeless for more than a decade of his youth. And then actually was invited into a church service. He gives his life to Jesus Christ. He decides from there, for whatever reason, to walk out. And he walks several days into the urban city there. He believes God's going to lead him into something and ultimately leads him into an incredibly blessed life where he's financially very, very wealthy. But now he's walking down the street and he sees a baby that's actually about to die on the streets and it breaks his heart. And he already has seven kids at home. He's got a lot of kids at home. And, uh, and he picks the child up and he feels like God just comes upon him and says, you've got to take this child home. And so he takes his child home and he gives it to the kids. The kids are a little older and they're stoked to actually be rescuing this baby. And they're like, great, we've done our great Jesus thing next day. You guys know the story? You've seen Mully? It's on Amazon Prime. It's a, it's a Disney movie. It's a true story. I was with this man last night. Privately, Jane and I were actually with him at another function at another time. 
And so, and so he hears this voice again. And so he picks up a second baby and he takes it home. And, you know, they have seven kids and they're older. So like, okay, great. Maybe dad's going to give us each a baby or something like that, you know, <laughs> however this works out. And so this thing keeps rolling and rolling and rolling until he personally adopts and rescues at his checking account 100 babies. That's a lot of kids. So now he's got a lot of kids. I mean, I got four sons. Let me tell you, a hundred, I'd, well, I'd be seeing Jesus right now. <laughs> I, would be, you know, I'd, I would not make it through that. Charles Mully's a better dude than me, you know? And so he goes, well, we got to go somewhere. Long and the short of it, he goes and buys with, with the few nickels he's got left, he buys a desert. There's no water there. Long and the store, short of it, he's got to find water. Jesus shows him where there's water. He taps an enormous unknown water well, and that water actually uh, covers up an entire area and changes the actual physical ecosystem of it all. And he actually creates an entire economy of wealth that just goes on and on and on and on. And so I met Charles Mother last night. I was supposed to introduce the event and sort of start us all off. And I'm looking at this brother, and I love this man. I love this man. And it just, it just popped out of me. Charles Mully, I thank God for men like you. I thank God for men like you. You have something I don't have, and I would like to have that. And I thank God for men like you, for a man to be sensitive in the spirit, a man who would lay his life down. And, and so we, we have to, as, as the scripture says here, Related to Thessalonians, Paul is saying he's thanking God for that church. But let me just tell you that we, we will bless one another if we go throughout our day, we go throughout our church, we go throughout our families, and we don't just say, I'm thankful for you, I like you. I thank God for you. That is a powerful spiritual interaction. That's a powerful spiritual interaction for anybody who's older to share with anybody who's younger whether they be preteens, teens, or 20s, or 30s, or whatever, to actually bless them, to look at someone as someone who's older and say, I say, I say to you, as a young married couple, I thank God for you. To actually have that spiritual interaction is powerful. Paul has that here. He says, I always thank God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. And so what he, because of that phrase, we tend to think, this is a little bit of a theological debate if you guys like this, but, but we wonder what was Paul's first letter that he wrote to the churches? And so because of that phrase, we tend to think this actually was arguably the very first letter. He goes on his missionary journeys and he's going to write a letter back. What is that first one? We think it actually might be this one. He's writing back. This is his first apostolic writings for that. I thank God because you are the first fruits. What that means, the very first to actually be saved there in your community. Through the sanctification, by the spirit, and belief in truth. So these are phrases when he says beloved by the Lord. What a great phrase. He's talking about actually a new identity. And Christ's followers actually have a new identity. And I actually was cleaning up, finally, uh, this old computer, uh, which is really old. It's almost a dead, so I think, I think, I think this thing is nine years old or something. And, uh, and so, I don't know, I must have been bored. Maybe I had some bad sushi or something, but I was cleaning up old files. 
You know, I probably should have just deleted something, you know, but I, somehow I was just watching a basketball game, cleaning up old files. And so a few things popped up. And these were actually testimonials that people had actually written to the ranch church that I had totally forgotten about. Uh, some were more recent, some were a little aged, you know. And so there was this one person talking about their new identity. I don't even know who this person was. It was actually right before the pandemic. They said that they're a transvestite. They said that they're a, 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 a drag queen. I'm not sure that I even know what all that is necessarily, but this is how they're describing parts of their life. And they're saying that they came to a service and gave their life to Christ and that they've experienced this new identity and that they are free, to, free now from whatever internal confusion that is. And they wanted to simply say, I thank God for the ranch church. Isn't that incredible? It's just the Lord Jesus doing that. And, and so there are a few more like that that I just kind of got weepy-eyed, and there was one that was uh, fairly recent. It was actually from a wife uh, talking about her husband, and I guess that the scripture that was shared with him uh, was Galatians 2.20, uh, for I have been crucified in Christ, and so it's no longer I who live. And somehow that first phrase registered with him, registered with him. I have been crucified with Christ, and I guess as she describes it, it's like he, he, he said, well, what does that mean? And so somebody, one of you guys said, well, let me tell you what it means. <laughs> it means you have a new identity. I've been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And so now this life that I'm living in the flesh, the body, I now live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who loves me and gave his life for me. And so, so that simple ministerial interaction, this wife writes back, says, change my husband, change our life, change everything about us, and I want to thank God for the ranch church. Let's go praise Jesus. Thank you for that. And that's the related to identity and that we all have in Christ an actual new identity. So Paul is talking about truth here as well at the end of verse 13. Uh, look in your Bibles where he says, through sanctification by the Spirit and actually belief in the truth. So truth, church, I want you to write this down if you, if you would be so kind. Tap it in a digital recording. Truth requires filters. So if you're going to live in the truth, you're going to abide in the truth, you have to have a biblical, divine, spirit-filled filter because everything you're going to get outside the walls of the kingdom of God, outside of scripture, is going to go about your daily life, you're going to go about your business life, you're going to go about your normal duties. All of that is, much of that is going to be against Christ potentially. So belief in truth and truth requires filter. And there are, as I'm going to outline here very briefly, I've gone through this before, but a, a series of secular creeds. So what's a secular creed? Okay, it's a belief that is against Christ. That's what a secular creed is. Are you with me, church? All right, so we have those around us. We have those in society. We have those in the Santa's Valley. We have those in the state of California. We have them in the region of the West. We have those in America. We have these creeds that are actually against Christ, and they're secular. And you know it generally because you might be usually at a social interaction or maybe with a loved one, a coworker, and you go against it, like maybe just off the cuff, and you say, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's, that's what is going on there, you know, and then they react. 
and you go, wow, that's a really strong reaction. So here's some creeds because we have to go through this because this is what Paul was actually doing with the church in Thessalonica. Okay, a few secular creeds. Let's go there, church. Black Lives Matter. That's a secular creed. And the answer is yes and no, biblically. Yes, of course, Black Lives Matter. No related to the politics of what all of that is meant. All people matter to God and all lives matter. So I don't have a problem in a personal conversation with someone, you know, who's want to know, can you say black lives matter? Of course I can. But I don't mean that the way these people would mean it. I mean it because you are my black brother, my black friend, and that you have been harmed a certain way. And I want you to know that I love you and that I am your friend no matter what. But all lives matter before God is the only reason why we can say black lives matter. But that is a secular creed. And so if you go against the Black Lives Matter credo, wow, that's a really strong reaction. All lives matter before God. The second one is related to love is love. And uh, that is related to all kinds of sexual issues. But what we have to understand is biblically love comes with truth or it's not love. You love someone, you love someone sacrificially good, but ultimately love comes with truth. And then, of course, there's gay rights and our civil rights. That's another creed in our culture. And, uh, well, God defines a family. That's what the scripture are saying. And so I know that there's shows out there uh, that speak differently about that, but the truth of the matter is that God actually defines the family. And so forth, which I'll just camp for a moment here, is transgender women are women, uh, which scripture says God made them. Can you say it with me, church? Male and female. That's how they're made. They're made, say male, Male. and they're made female. That's how they're made. And so if you go against that, of course, then there's usually this strong reaction of people, and that's actually a secular creed. And what you need to know is that it is actually biologically impossible for a man to become a true woman. He will be, when you extract his DNA, still a man. And uh, I just know that, you know, it happened last year, made real big news, the whole man who's in the pool swimming as a girl or pretending to be a girl and the swim team and all of that. And that is just so ridiculous <laughs> according to the scriptures. It is really, really sad. And so I'm going to make this as G, G, G rated as possible to show you the issues that are involved in the ridiculous nature of these secular creeds. Uh, because these women, these girls, these 18 to 22 year old college students have this man who's actually in their locker room. They're disrobed and trying to cover themselves up where they should normally be safe as ladies and be able to be private. And this man is there disrobed. And let's just say that they're saying, let me tell you, and they're very G-rated, that is a man who is showing that he's a man. And, and how is that possible that we're calling that a woman? And so these are secular creeds. That's why I'm going through this. And in Thessalonica, you might think, oh, the United States of America. Oh, you might think the United States of America. They actually had this then. They had it in Rome. They had it in Greece. They had all kinds of different ways in which they were addressing some of these same issues. And Paul comes in with the gospel and says, let me tell you the truth of the gospel. God created the male He created them female, and God wants to save you. He wants to give you this new identity and be in Christ, and it actually destroys all of these secular creeds. We have to have no fear, as well as love, in sharing all of those truths. Secular creed, the secular creed says, 
God has nothing to say to me, nor any right to speak to me. And if you're thinking, you realize that Jesus says, God has everything to say to me about everything. Thank God for that. Like you don't want an area of your life where God is not speaking to you. You want God to be speaking to every single area of your life, your finances, your sexuality, your hopes and dreams, your dreams for your family, everything. You want God to be speaking to every single place inside of your life. And that is actually the gospel. But the secular creed is very, very different. Let me move on now as we look here where the scripture is going to say this in verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the tradition that you were taught by us, either by a spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and that's an important emphasis, and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He's going the extra mile to tell you the sweetness and beauty of the gospel, this love that God has for us, this eternal comfort. I actually love that phrase. It was all the way to eternity and good hope through grace. He's referencing by way of backdrop, you know, the second coming of Christ, as we said by introduction in earlier in chapter two, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord starts with the rapture of the church. There's a tribulation for three years, three and a half years, and there's a great tribulation for three and a half years. Then there's the second coming of Christ. This is Revelation 19. Then there's actually a millennial kingdom. Then there's actually a great white throne of judgment. That is actually the entirety of what's called the day of the Lord. And last week, I outlined many more details related to that. Let me give you a quote from an old Scottish preacher, a guy by, a guy by the name of Alexander McLaren. And uh, he says this really wonderfully. I want you to hear this. Talking about the first church, talking about the church in Thessalonica, talking about the early, early church. He says the primitive church, that's how, he, that's how he says it. The primitive church thought more about the second coming than about death. He said the early church thought more about the second coming than about heaven. They were not looking for a cleft in the ground called the grave. You get that? They were not looking for an opening in the ground called the grave. They were not looking for a cleft in the ground called the grave, but for a cleavage in the sky called glory. They were not watching for the undertaker. I love this. They were watching for the uptaker. And I love that from a famous quote from a preacher from a bygone era, Alexander McLaren. And so that's us. Like we, we talk about secular creeds not because we want to offend anybody or because we're angry in that sense because of God's love and truth. And because we don't want anybody to be harmed by those lies. We talk about things like the Antichrist, the day of the Lord, the second coming, the rapture of the church, because we say, praise the Lord. We talk about the rapture of church because we say, it would be great as a Christian to be raptured before Pastor Rick Soto says amen. amen. Right? That would be great. That would be wonderful. That'd be a good way to go out as a preacher, by the way. So we're, we're not talking about undertakers. 
We're not people looking down on anybody. We're not looking down on the dirt, the negativity of life. We have an upper taker. We have someone who's lifting our eyes above the common everyday things and dramas of our lives and is fixing our eyes on eternity. We have somebody who's taking us from the negativity and focusing us on the living Christ who is resurrected from the dead. We have somebody who's showing us the power of the Holy Spirit that works inside us. We are not looking at the grave. We're looking at life. We're looking at eternal life. We're looking at a truthful life. We're looking at an abundant life that Christ has promised. We're looking at being people who live inside of a new covenant with direct access to God because of the blood of Christ, the true Paschal Lamb who was sacrificed for us. We're looking at people who have a new identity and new baptisms and new blessings and new ministries to be a part of. We're looking at being people who have a purpose. No matter what your age is, no matter what your economy is, no matter what your maturity level is, we're looking at having a purpose. We're looking at that upper taker. And that is our new life in him. I'm going to pray, church. I want us to meditate on a few things. And so pray with me as we internalize this message. And so, Father, would you, would you speak to our hearts right now? Would you speak to our hearts right now about just the gross level of negativity that surrounds us in our culture? that captivates us, the gross level of negativity that is so contrary to you. And so, Lord Jesus, would you allow us to be removed from that? Would you bring us into a new place of light and love? So, church, I want to ask you, here is my invitation that I believe Christ is asking you. Are you caught up in that negativity swirl? Are you caught up in that? Are you caught up in that? And do you want to be free of it? You want to set it behind? So listen, if you're caught up in that negativity swirl, I want you to come forward for prayer. I want you to come forward for prayer right now and just say, pray for me. This whole negativity of everything around me is just got me. It's got me down. It's got me sad. Maybe I participate in it, but it's got me. Maybe it's got my family and friends. Would you pray for me? And we want to pray, and you're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit fall upon you. So if that's you, you feel like that swirl is around you, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats right now and come and visit me right front. This is your step of faith. It's a vulnerable moment for you, and it's a good one. And join me for a unique time of prayer right here, right now. Is there anybody who will take that invitation and join me up front right now to be free of that negativity that is swirling around? Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.